We just had our scripture reading. We're going to cover half of this passage this morning and the other half uh, next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've all heard a child say these words. That's not fair. As they doubt a parent's or teacher's judgment. A close family member or friend may accuse you of being out of your mind to discipline your children. They may also think you're crazy for giving so much time or money to the church or even to go to church on Sunday and Wednesday. An unsaved family or friend will misunderstand why you keep bringing up Jesus and their need of salvation from their sin. A child will misunderstand a parent or teacher's refusal to allow them to be alone with certain friends. Another Christian will accuse you of meddling or being unloving if you confront or rebuke them for their selfishness and sin. These are all scenarios that 2 Corinthians 10, 1-6 will speak to, to the truth. This is thoughtful warfare of ministry. We had, the last two days, warfare against the cold. It was pretty obvious this is not a comfortable planet to live on when the wind chills are minus 30. And if you went outside yesterday morning or uh, Friday evening, it was extremely uncomfortable to be outside, dangerously so. We realize how weak our bodies are as well. Whenever you just, it was 30 degrees warmer this morning than yesterday, and it was like 20, and I went outside, and I'm like, this doesn't feel that bad. (laughs) How weak we are as humans to have just 20, 30 degrees below normal be almost uh, debilitating. We could not go outside yesterday or Friday, especially evening, Friday evening. These bodies, these flesh that we live in is weak, and we think about God. We think about how vast the universe is and how some temperatures, that was nothing compared to how cold it gets on the opposite side of the moon that doesn't face the sun for days and days. Or, as we saw uh, on Mount Washington, Minus a hundred wind chill. Uh, you'd probably get frostbite in seconds. I don't even know, but I wouldn't want to try it. These, this, these flesh and blood that we live in are weak. We know that. If we don't know that, just wait a few years. You'll know it. <laughs> these bodies aren't made to last forever, but... In the middle of having these bodies, we are, as Paul's going to talk about, warfare. And we realize warfare isn't something that we want to be a part of. Isn't something we're going around wishing we would just go to battle all the time. But something that the Christian life is definitely a war. If given a choice to go to war or go to an amusement park, everybody would choose an amusement park. But unfortunately, many Christians live their lives like they're in the middle of an amusement park where we're looking at YouTube, we're looking at movies, 
We're looking at novels. We are consumed with things to entertain ourselves in the middle of a battle. And the Christian life is not an amusement park. It's warfare. And the more we realize that, we have to graduate from childhood to adulthood. And we don't send children off to war. But whenever you're old enough to go off to war, you realize war is something that is not pleasant, but is necessary at times. And when we go to war, when, we're in the, when we realize we're in the middle of war, it causes us to think. Amusement means to not muse or to not think. When you go to an amusement park, they expect you not to think. Like, oh yes, this game is worth is $10, so I have a chance to win a dollar toy. That's a bad deal. But in an amusement park, you don't think, and so you pay it. Why? Because you're not in warfare. Now, if you're on a strict budget and you only have $20 in your pocket that your parents gave you and they said, that has to buy your food and you realize lunch costs 20 bucks in an amusement park, don't spend your $20 on a stuffed animal because you can't eat that. Use your $20 for amusement park food. You have to think even at an amusement park. When you're watching TV, you know what the devil hopes is that you don't think. That you just space out. You just relax. You can't watch movies. You can't watch TV and not think. Next week's the Super Bowl. And there's going to be advertisements during the Super Bowl that if you think as a Christian, you shouldn't watch. There's definitely a halftime show coming that no Christian should watch. Why? Because we are in a warfare for our minds. We're in a warfare in this passage for ministry. And Paul's going to challenge us as he's going to challenge the Corinthians. As, as if you're in ministry for any length of time, whether you're a teacher, a parent, a disciple maker, as we were told in... Um, in Matthew 28, that we are all to be making disciples of all nations, all trying to help people to grow and be observing everything that Jesus said. This is our responsibility as a Christian. We realize soon after trying to make disciples of all nations that there are a lot of people that hate Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is holy and who's going to come and judge them. Jesus that expects you to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, die to yourself, and follow him? Psh, not me. And people reject the ministry of the gospel. Children in our homes initially all reject the ministry of parents. All of them. No child likes to be told no. Did you like to be told no? It was obvious. Like, you don't have, submission is when we do things that we are told no, and we'll do it anyway. We don't want to do it, but we'll do it anyway. That's submission to authority. So Paul's going to tell us here, a very personal, and this is not a popular uh, passage of Scripture. Pretty much from here to the end of, there's just a few verses that you might know, 
but most of the thought process and the whole context of this is going to be unfamiliar to us. It's not that uh, common of, of passage of Scripture, but we're going to walk through it. The plan is to get through 2 Corinthians before uh, we go into Mark and Mark's uh, gospel. We're going to look at the crucifixion and climax on the day of Easter with the resurrection Mark's account. Instead of last year, we tried to do all of Matthew's crucifixion and resurrection in one Sunday. The Sunday I had a kidney stone and I prepared all this and then I was absent. All right, so Pastor Ty got put it all on his shoulders. And um, so this time we, we talked about it and I think we're going to do four weeks. So four weeks leading up to Easter, we'll do Mark's account of the crucifixion. And the next year, Lord willing, we'll do Luke and then John. But for now, uh, we're going to try to finish Second uh, Corinthians 10, 11, 12, and 13 uh, before that. 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself, three words here to bring this very personal. It is obvious who's writing. It is obvious that Paul is trying to, if you were to, if you were to sit your children down and say, your mom and me, Joy and I, we beg you, okay? It's a way of saying, okay, why, why are you talking like that? This is not normal that you, you say all these things together. But it's very personal. I, Paul, myself, entreat you. I beg you. I urge you. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, this doesn't sound like warfare, but this isn't the world's way of doing war. This is Jesus' way of doing war. And we know from Matthew's account, how did the king come do war the first time? He's our example. With humility. So as we have seen the humility of Christ in the book of Matthew, now Paul is saying, hey, this is how I'm approaching you. With the meekness, which also could mean gentleness, and gentleness of Christ. And then a different word here, I who am humble or lowly. Three different words to say Roughly the same thing, meekness, gentleness, humility, lowliness. I'm below you and I'm begging you. I who am humble when face to face with you. And if the Corinthians knew Paul, as they, uh, many of them did, as they came to Christ with Paul's ministry, the first missionary journey, second missionary journey, I'm sorry, they would realize, yes, he's telling the truth. Here is a humble guy. I'm humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Now, he's written at least three letters, and 1 Corinthians, very bold. That sorrowful letter that we saw in 2 Corinthians 2, also bold. And now this is uh, probably the least bold of the letters, but he's saying, okay, I am very bold toward you when I'm away. I get that. Verse 2, I beg of you that when I am present... I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Why do we need this passage, verses 1 to 6? As we serve Jesus, we need to know what to do when some question our ministry. Paul is going to have his authority questioned as an apostle, and so we can't have the same authority. We would love at times that the authority the Apostle Paul showed in Acts 13 when someone opposed him uh, who Sergius Paulus in Cyprus was the governor and ready to trust Christ 
and this Elemis, the magician, opposes Paul, and Paul says, you are an enemy of the gospel, you're an enemy of God, you're a minister of Satan, and you're going to be blind. And he loses his sight. Like, okay, we don't try that, okay? We don't have that authority. I don't have authority here, and no, no one really does. No apostles, no matter what title they take, can make someone who God doesn't want to be blind, blind. Okay, we don't have that kind of authority to heal or to cause someone to be blind. But Paul did have that authority in Acts 13. You can go back and, and see that. But this isn't how we handle the warfare when some question our ministry. But Paul's going to teach us things that we can do um, and not, we won't focus on what we cannot do from this passage, but what we can do. So, what we can do, ask ourselves questions. The first question, am I imitating Christ's attitude? As I live the Christian life, and those under my authority are under my ministry, and they look at my life, would they say of me, you remind me of the meekness, gentleness, humility of Jesus? When you and I read Matthew, we say, who in our lives reminds us of Jesus like Matthew shows him? Like we're going to see Mark show him, Luke shows him, John shows him. As you and I read the Gospels, we're going to see the humility of Christ. And if you have people under your authority, that he, Christ is your example. So here's how we approach people with great humility, gentleness, meekness, lowly. When Jesus said, suffer the little or allow the little children to come unto me, you know what that means? Everybody, including little children, was above Jesus. This is how he viewed people. See, if you and I look at ministry and say, that's below me, I'm not going to do that. I am a teacher. I am in front of people. I am, I, I want, I, I need something more. I am only going to serve this section of people. I'm not going to serve these people. You're not thinking the attitude that Christ has. And all of us struggle with this. So Paul, he struggles with this. He's a human. But for the most part, Paul's ministry in this warfare, as he's thinking and helping the Corinthians to think, he says, okay, some of you suspect that we are walking according to the flesh. That means you are just doing ministry in your own power. And Paul has started his analysis of his own ministry with these questions. I am coming to you in ministry and I have evaluated our motives. And here's my motive. I want to imitate Jesus Christ. Humility, meekness, gentleness. Now Paul is bold. And he writes boldly. And he's going to talk more about boldness in the, in the rest of chapter 10. But we have to ask ourselves, before we do any ministry, is my attitude right? Do I have an example to follow do I, am I thinking like Jesus? If I'm not thinking like him, I'm not going to minister like him. And then it will be fleshly. If I'm controlled by the Spirit, Galatians has already been written. 
if we're walking in the Spirit, what's going to come out of our ministry to other people is Christ-like humility, gentleness, lowliness. So am I imitating Christ's attitude? Some challenged Paul. Others that came with Paul and said, you guys, they suspect us. See that there in the end of verse 2? They suspect us, not just Paul, but those with him in ministry. They suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So questions for us. Do I personally minister to those God put in my life with Christ-like gentleness and gracious forbearance? That's what that a second word gentleness there in your text means. Gracious forbearance. That means you're putting up with a lot graciously. Second question, do I wisely minister Christ's humility and Christ's boldness when needed? See, Christ was bold with the Pharisees, as we've seen. He was very bold. Who would call religious leaders a brood or a a pit of snakes if you weren't bold? And those men hated Jesus because of that. Today, many, all false religions would hate the real Jesus. And they would hate Paul. And they'd hate Peter. And they would hate James. And they would hate John. And they would hate any gospel preaching church today. And they're going to hate you. Don't think it's strange when they hate you. Why? Because we're in a war. This is not an amusement park. This planet is not for our enjoyment. This is a battlefield. Am I imitating Christ's attitude on the battlefield of ministry that he's given me to do? There's always going to be people under us in ministry that are going to say, you just want the spotlight. You just want more people. You just want praise from men. You just want whatever. And that's good. That's good to get challenged like that because then you say, is that really what I want? And some, many pastors, many Christian leaders, many missionaries do want the spotlight. They do want the power. We can't say that it's true of Paul. And for godly leaders, we have to analyze their attitude and say, okay, how am I coming across that makes people think I'm just living in the flesh? We need to wisely minister Christ's humility because sometimes we need to display boldness and humility with boldness is a takes God's wisdom to know how to mix those two in ministry. The second question, verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, and that's Jesus saying, we are, <laughs> we're flesh and blood, okay? I'm a human. Christ becomes flesh, dwells among us, John uh, 1 Here Paul says, of course we walk in the flesh, (laughs) we're human, but we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't have fleshly, weak armor or um, weapons, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. When a country goes to war and it's not our country, 
and this is a country that's an ally of ours, and they say, U.S., can you send us heavy tanks? Can you send us missiles that will shoot down other missiles? You know what we don't send them? Nerf guns. Why not? Because that is, in this context, fleshly. It's weak. We don't send them BB guns. We don't send them pellet guns. We don't even send them little 22s. They don't need those. Why? Because they're too weak. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the wealthy man boast in his riches. And this is probably, and several times, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 comes up in the New Testament. And this is one of those cases where this is what the best the flesh can do. You can get a PhD and be an expert and know all there is to know about one subject. And the whole world asks you about that one subject. And in the warfare of life, you can die and go to hell for all eternity. Many experts are in hell. And they wrote books. They had lectures. They were multimillionaires because of their wisdom. See, the world's wisdom is different. It's just flesh. It's so weak. And when it comes to Christian ministry, helping people to make disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe everything that I say, we cannot trust the flesh. We sing, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Don't trust just your wisdom. You are too weak to fight against the wiles of the devil. You are too weak to fight against someone else's misunderstanding of your ministry. You may win an argument with someone below you, but if you're fighting with flesh, God's not pleased. And this book tells us how to, God can be pleased with our ministry. And here he says, although I live in the flesh, of course, that's how I'm writing to you. That's how I can come to you in, in, in the flesh. But I don't trust in my flesh. Paul has a lot, as a Pharisee, a lot of Scripture, Old Testament, in his brain, but he is not trusting his memory. Paul may have, as we see later, not a lot of physical appearance. He may have been shorter. He may have been a slight man of stature. We also know it says here his speech is of no account in verse 10. So he may not have been an eloquent speaker because Apollos in Acts is a better speaker than Paul. So everyone, Paul's not gathering crowds to listen to how he puts things together. He's not entertaining. He is not, wow, I'm going to write that down and then just a lot of people following Paul because of he's just an eloquent speaker. That's not what you'll get from Paul. But you, what, will you, what you will get from Paul is this. He is trusting God's power. And God is using Paul in a mighty way, despite how small he is physically, despite how not eloquent he is 
verbally. So that gives us a lot of hope, right? Because not a lot of us are really smart, really strong, really intellectual, really wealthy. God says, don't trust those things. What does Jeremiah 9, 24 say? But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Can you and I understand and know God? And the answer is yes. How? Through Christ. And as we know Christ, how do we live after we know Christ? We trust in him. We walk in the spirit. We, whatever God wants us to do, we do. And so we look at the word. We see our sinfulness in the word. And we confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us. And we say, God, you want to use me in this warfare and the weapons of my flesh are so weak. I am not trusting my own understanding. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. But Paul says, when you do trust in the weapons of your warfare are not flesh, they are have divine power. See that phrase there in verse 4? The weapons of our warfare in ministry, if they're not of the flesh, I'm not trusting my own intellect, I'm not trusting in my education, I'm not trusting in my memory, I'm not trusting in my money, I'm not trusting in the world's methods, I'm not trying to lead people like the world lords it over them. I'm trusting in God's power divine power. And when we have divine power in ministry, what is that divine power doing in the end of verse 4? It is destroying strongholds. Now you can go up to a brick tower and shoot it a billion times with a Nerf gun and it's not going to do any damage. And you hit it one time with a tank using a shell that's this big around. And it's going to destroy it. We have to realize at our disposal as believers, as we're doing ministry, Jesus promised in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I will be with you always. I will give you my power. And as I give you my power to minister you're going to see divine power in action. And when we see divine power in action, this is what divine power does with a ministry that's focused and relying on Jesus and his power and not on our flesh. Destroying strongholds. What is a stronghold? Am I trusting Christ's power? What is a stronghold? Well, it's a well-fortified if you were to go to, uh, you can look up strongholds on uh, Google and you'll find um, fortresses on top of a hill. Some cities, as you remember the story of Abimelech in the book of Judges, whenever they breached the outer wall, there was a stronghold in the middle that hold, held a thousand people in there. And so a lot of people ran to that stronghold and Abimelech brought and tried to burn it down and a lady threw uh, something from the top, hit his head and uh, won the victory that day. Uh, but a stronghold is a well-fortified, and in spiritual warfare, talking about the flesh here, and how our world looks at warfare, it's a well-fortified dependence on self. Spiritual warfare 
Destroying a stronghold of the flesh is a well-fortified dependence on self that is built by, and if you look at a fortress, it's got a lot of stones or it's got a lot of bricks. And each one of those bricks in the spiritual warfare of a stronghold is built by lies. Believing lies. And if Satan can get us to believe lies, he has caused some people to doubt Paul's ministry and said, that guy's just in it for the money. That guy just wants a crowd. That guy just wants to show you how smart he is as a former Pharisee. That guy, and, and they're just throwing all these lies to the Corinthians, and Paul says, we're not, we're not, fighting. <laughs> we're not fighting it that way. Lies today, when it, ministry, when God wants us to be in ministry, and we're not trusting Christ's power, we are living in the flesh. You may say to yourself things like this, I'm all set. Or I just need to try harder, dig deeper, believe in myself. Lies. I don't really need to see God's glory in the word daily or spend much time in prayer. If we're in ministry and warfare and you don't spend time in the word and in prayer, you have a stronghold of believing this lie. I don't need the word that much. I don't need prayer that much. I can do this on my own. You're a fool. We're a fool to trust the flesh to do spiritual warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. Or someone challenges you, you're just in it for the money, the glory, the power. As pastors get together, we can talk about success like how many people do you have at your church or how big are your buildings or are they all paid off or how much money do you have in the bank? God doesn't care about those things. And as a pastor, I've got to not care about those things. I'm more concerned with trusting Christ's power. Another lie, God's word cannot help me with my worry, my addictions, or I can't help other people either in ministry with their worry, their addictions, their depression, their anger, their confusion, their suicidal thoughts, their schizophrenia, their bipolar disorders, their eating disorders, their PTSD, their sexual abuse survival, their post-abortion regret, their LGBTQ desires, their fear of COVID or diseases, their conspiracy theories, and the list goes on and on. Let me tell you, God's Word is powerful, and it speaks to all of those things. Or, we get from the culture now, the Bible-believing Christians are on the wrong side of history. Also a lie. We don't care about being on the wrong side of history. We don't want to be on the wrong side of God. Because we have to trust Christ's power as we fight warfare. We have to do it with Christ's attitude of verses 1 and 2 and Christ's power. And when we are, we realize that we have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, one lie isn't a stronghold, but believing lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie, that's when Satan has a stronghold in our lives. Like, pornography is okay, or God doesn't care what you do in private. Those are lies. And if you have a stronghold that you have to sin against God, you have to trust in your flesh, you have to indulge your flesh, those are lies. 
And God's word is powerful enough to tear those down. So what's the opposite of lying? How do we destroy strongholds? How does God's power tear down the lies? What's the opposite of lying? Truth. Truth destroys lies. You cannot believe lies and truth at the same time. And in 2 Corinthians 3, we saw that when we see the glory of God, we are being changed from glory to glory. And when it comes to ministry, and we once trusted our flesh, we once trusted our intellect, and now we're trusting in God's power. And we see God's glory, which is his power, in the pages of Scripture. We see God's glory as he's changing and, and saving people around us. And causing people who were once addicted or once fearful or once consumed with their doubts and their flesh. And we're telling them, God's power is available to you through his truth. And his truth will set you free. It destroys strongholds as we meditate on who God is and what he has done to rescue us. Why would we want to do anything that displeases him? When you and I read Matthew 27 and all that Jesus went through to pay for our sins, why would you want to sin against him? It makes no sense. And in the Christian life, as we are warring in against our flesh, against the world, and against the devil, why would you want to trust the arm of your own flesh when you have God's power available to you in the person of Jesus Christ, in the truth of the Word of God, and you have access to the throne of grace in prayer? Why are you going through life without him? You're not trusting Christ's power. But Paul is not there. He is saying, oh, we are not trusting our own flesh. You think we are? We're not. Because our flesh is not mighty and it cannot pull down any stronghold. Verse 5. Last. Before we get to verse 5, one more. God's power pulls it down. We are changed by when we see God's glory. We are also empowered by his glory to evaluate our secret sins of the flesh and destroy them. And when your sin is destroyed and your strongholds are gone, they're rubble, and you're living in victory over sin, you look around and you see someone else next to you in life, someone next to you in the pew, someone across from you at the table, and they're struggling with a stronghold and they don't know what to do and they're believing a lot of lies. And you say, you know what? God has set me free. He's given me his truth. And you need this truth for you. And it will help tear down the, the lies that you're believing. It's causing you to trust in your own power and you're, you're getting defeated on the battlefield every day. You don't have to live this way. Christ's attitude is seen here. Christ's power is shown to be better much better than the flesh. And then verse 5. We destroy, same word, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. 
there are three things here that when we have God's divine power and we're fighting in Christ with Christ's attitude in ministry, there are three things here that we're able to do. It's not us, okay? It's not us. I even hate, hate to say we are doing this. God is doing this through us, okay? God's fighting the Christian life through us, through this flesh, but we're not trusting our flesh. God's telling us don't trust our flesh. So what are we doing here in verse 5? We're destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. What is this? Defending. In warfare, there's a lot of defense. Defending requires God destroying any stronghold, opposing what? Against the knowledge of God. Against knowing him. Here is a lie, okay? You can live life without knowing God. The world says that. They act like he doesn't even exist. And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. As Christians, we know God exists. We know that in his presence there is fullness of joy. I want nowhere else to be on the planet other than in God's presence as a Christian. We heard that last Wednesday from the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles. So we have to, as we are empowered by God's Spirit, with God's Word, with the example of Christ, we have to defend in the ministry it requires God destroying any stronghold opposing knowing him. False accusations, that's that word there, uh, arguments. False accusations against God. God's not really good. Oh, no, no, no. Nope, we're not going down that road. He's definitely good. But it doesn't look like God's good. It doesn't matter what it looks like to us. We're misinterpreting <laughs> God. God is always good. Even if people suffer, yep, he's always good. Even if I have pain and I'm not happy, yep, God is still good. One day you will have no pain and you will be perfectly happy. But on this planet, you're going to have pain. You're going to have pipes freeze. You're going to not be able to use your shower or your washing machine. That's what happened to us. All right, the shower came back. We're still waiting on the washing machine. All right, this, this part of living on a fallen planet, things don't work right. Your body doesn't work right. Hearing doesn't work right. Eyes don't work right. Brain doesn't work right. It's okay. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. And the older you get, the more you realize this body is weak. And I'm going to trust in my God even more. And many of you are prayer warriors. And I rejoice to hear that you're part of our church. And you are praying for people on a daily basis. You're trusting Christ's power. You're doing the ministry on your knees. You realize that there are people here that are struggling with strongholds and God is the one who will give them the victory. So we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. The second thing we do, we take every thought captive. This is warfare language. When you defend and destroy something, then you take captives, okay? Everyone who's defeated, they go off into captivity. This is how warfare works. There's prisoners of war, right? So what, what are the prisoners of war here? Take every thought. No thought escapes. When Saul, King Saul, was told to kill every single Amalekite, 
and he spared the king. Nope, he disobeyed God. God says, I want you by divine power to take every thought captive. No rogue thoughts. No, well, my mind went over here. Nope, take that thought captive. No, we're not going down that way. We're not going to worry about things we can't control. We're not going to be fearful about things because we're not, we don't wage war with just our flesh. No, there's divine power here. And all those lists of things, and you may have other strongholds in your life that I didn't mention. You need to see God's glory. You need to see God's truth. Defending requires God taking every thought captive to obeying Christ. See that there? Take every thought captive to obey Christ. So you may have a thought that says, you know what? It is too hard to deny yourself in this area. Just give in. Nope. Rogue thought. That thought's got to be taken captive. Can't think that way. It is okay to, and the, what the, it's okay to is a sin against God. Nope. Christ perfectly obeyed, and he expects me to perfectly obey. Every thought that causes me to disobey Jesus, don't, you don't have to evangelize. You don't have to teach someone to obey everything that Jesus said. And you don't have to fulfill the Great Commission. No, take that thought captive. That is not where you want to go. And then the last is probably apostolic. Um, Or it could be church discipline in the greater context of 1 Corinthians 5. uh, We see church discipline, and that is punishing disobedience. And this is those probably outside of the church after they're disobedient and they're punished, they're set outside the church and dis- church discipline. It could be the Acts 13 that I mentioned, the apostolic miraculous discipline. Don't expect me to miraculously discipline you. I'm not going to. And you shouldn't try it either. All right? So, church discipline. Defending requires God being ready to punish every disobedience. From what we know of the rest of Scripture, is God ready to punish every disobedience? Oh, yeah. Christ is the judge of the whole earth. He will do what's right. A lot of the Bible is about God's justice, His judgment. When Christ was on earth, He had the right attitude, He had the right power, and when He goes twice to cleanse the temple, you know who He's defending? God's honor. He said, you have, here is my father's house. It is a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. People don't want to come here because you're here. And I want them to come here and get close to God in prayer. And you are hindering them from coming and worshiping. So what does ministry, Christian ministry do today? We try to help people come. We try to eliminate distractions and come. Why? Because we're defending Christ's honor. It's not about us. It's not about Paul and his companions. It's not fighting in in their battles. No, this is Christ's honor is at stake here. So God is the one with his power who destroys arguments and helps us to know him. It is God's power who helps us take every thought captive and helps us to obey Christ. It is God's power who helps us to, if we have to exercise church discipline for those who are disobedient, we'll put them out of the church and Paul says this to encourage the Corinthians probably, when your obedience is complete. 
Okay, I'm more concerned about you being obedient. Worry about those other people outside the church and their disobedience later. But I want you to obey and I want you to honor Christ. This is the focal point of ministry. We have to think. We are in warfare. And can I think like Christ? Can I rely on Christ's power? Can I defend Christ's honor? We're going to pray here at the end, and we'll pray this way. I'll give you two things to, as homework this week. Three things here. Evaluate your ministry motives. Why do you want to be a parent? How are you parenting? Are you doing it in your flesh? Are you doing it with God's word? I can't parent for you. I've got enough to parent. I can't pastor everybody personally. But you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he's going to tell you these things from God's word. You've got to listen to him. Identify in your life two attacks or two lies that you're believing that's causing you not to know God very well. And then number three, identify two dangerous thoughts that cause you to disobey Christ. Think about how you disobeyed Christ last week. Say, what was my thought process? So this is how we think. Paul's challenging our thinking. We have to think as Christians. We can't just uh, float on through life like a jellyfish. No. No, we're like salmon swimming upstream. This is how we live the Christian life, upstream. And we have to think. Evaluate your ministry motives. Identify two attacks on your knowledge of God and identify two dangerous thoughts that cause you to disobey Christ. In my prayer here, I'll pray for these things and also thank the Lord for our food and then we'll close with a song. Our Father, you know all things. You know the end from the beginning. We know from Psalm 139, you understand our thoughts afar off. You're acquainted with all of our ways. Father, I pray that as you know our thoughts, that you would give us insight into how we are thinking that displeases you. Look at our motives, evaluate our attitudes, and if someone has something against us, maybe it's because we're sinful and we are fleshly. I pray that you would help us if we are fleshly and motivated by our flesh, that you would uh, convict us and don't let us go. Help us to repent and get back to trusting your power and doing ministry your way. I pray for uh, all of your people here this week, those watching, that you would give them wisdom to not keep giving in to the same attacks, to not believe, keep believing the same lies that are keeping them away from knowing you. I pray also for uh, your church, your people here today, that they would uh, realize how dangerous thinking it is that uh, causes us to disobey our Savior, disobey the Great Commission, disobey not making disciples, not teaching them to observe everything that you've said. Convict us, Challenge us, help us to agree with you against ourselves and go from being flesh-controlled to spirit-controlled. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Help us to enjoy the ministry you've given us and as we are challenged by, these minist- um, by others, that you would help us to think this way so that you are glorified. Thank you for our time that we can spend around um, 
some pizza, and thank you for providing this for us. This is from your hand. And we rejoice in the fellowship that we'll enjoy and then the business meeting to follow. I pray you be glorified in both of those. In Jesus' name, amen.